Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. Hey, if you came in through our gathering hall today, you probably noticed that it looks a little different out there. Um, we've done some redecorating with some Chinese lanterns hanging from the ceiling. And uh, you might be wondering, are we just celebrating Chinese New Year? I mean, what's that all about? Uh, but I want you to know that we're, we're not just doing that. As a matter of fact, it's tied to a special ministry opportunity that Wildwood has. We're going to be focusing on over the next five months or so. And at the end of our service today, we're going to address that. Before we get there, I want us to spend a little bit of time looking into God's Word today, and we're going to do so as a part of our series that we've called Passion Road. If you were with us last week, you know that we started on a series that will take us from now through Resurrection Sunday, through Easter Sunday, as we're meeting Jesus on the way to the cross. Last week, we began with kind of a prelude to our study, talking about meeting Jesus and and seeing what it is like for us to follow him. We, we looked at that last week, but this week we're going to zoom in and look a little bit at some of Jesus' teachings, specifically looking at a parable that Jesus taught. Incidentally, this outline that you see on the screen behind me, um, we're, we're using not only to organize our times of worship and our sermon messages during this season, but we also have a devotional guide that you can find for free in the gathering hall. You can also find it online um, that will help you uh, reflect on these verses and, and, and focus on Jesus uh, throughout this, this Easter season. But today, we're going to be looking at a, a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Uh, a parable is an illustration that Jesus uses within uh, messages that he taught, within sermons that he preached, and so we're going to do that. But before we get to the parable that Jesus tells, uh, I want to tell you a, a story of my own. And this story has to do with Rocky Robinson. Now, for some of you who have been around Wildwood a while, you know who that is. Um, that was our dog. Uh, I say was, he's no longer with us. Uh, Rocky has not been a part of our family now for about three years, not because we kicked him out, but because he made that great transition um, to the kennel in the sky. But our, our dog, uh, Rocky, was with us uh, since about 2001. And, and some of you, if you were around Wildwood uh, 10 years ago or so, you would remember a lot of stories about Rocky. I had a friend, Bob Reed, who would give me a hard time. He's like, you really ought to write that dog off as a, as a tax credit because you refer to him so much. He's a work expense. Um, so those of you who are newer to Wildwood, you've been spared my dog stories until today. So here we go. Um, so here's a picture of, of Rocky. This is not from 2001. This picture was actually from 2007, but it's my favorite picture of our little beagle. Um, and I want to take you back, though, all the way to 2001, around Christmas time. At that point, Rocky was only about two months old. And we were leaving to go to church that morning, and so we put some gates up to keep Rocky in the kitchen while we were gone uh, to church. Now, we did that not just because he might have been hungry. That dog was always hungry. Uh, we kept him in the kitchen because that's where the tile was. And if you've had a puppy, you know why you want to keep the dog where the tile is. Is. So we block the dog in with some gates. We go to church. We come back, and there's Rocky sitting in the kitchen right where we left him. And to the best of his ability, I, th I think he was smiling, you know, just like, like that dog smile. Like, I'm so glad you're home. I've been a good dog. I've been here the whole time. But the problem was that as we began to walk around the house, we began to notice that 
there was evidence, incriminating evidence, that Rocky had made it over the wall. Uh, somehow, some way, I wish we'd have had some kind of security cameras or whatever, that dog leaped over that wall, I mean, a, just a, an incredible feat at that time, or climbed it somehow without a posable thumb, gets over the wall and destroyed the house. Knocked ornaments off the Christmas tree, chewed up the checkbook, knocked a lamp over and the, the, the lamp broke and the bulb and, and all this stuff. I mean, it was a total mess. Yet when we came home, somehow the dog had timed his adventure in such a way that he made it on the other side of that wall and was waiting for us in the kitchen when we returned. Um, that was a pretty amazing event. Um, but, but here's what was funny. Somehow, some way, that dog knew that he was supposed to be in the kitchen. And somehow, some way, that dog knew he was supposed to be back in the kitchen by the time the master got home, right? Somehow, he understood that. And he might have been panting. There might have been sweat coming off his brow. But by golly, he made it back by the time we got home. Now, I tell you that story today because I was thinking about it in relationship to uh, Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story to his disciples to help illustrate the point of what we are to be doing with our lives while we wait for his return. And Jesus, in the story of Matthew 25, talks about how one day the master is going to come back. And you know what? The reality is that, that as you're sitting here today, you, you have a sense that that's true. Even if you know nothing about the Bible, even if you know nothing about the New Testament, you have a sense that one day your master is coming back and you will have to give an account for your life. This is a, a universal truth of humanity, something that God has just placed within our hearts. Somehow you know that that is true. And yet, though we know that it's true, isn't it also true that a lot of our lives we spent jumping over the gate and knocking down the ornaments off the tree and creating a mess of the house in which we live? I mean, sadly, I can relate to that. Can you? We know one day the master's coming back. We know there's some parameters on the life that he wants us to live, but we spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort to get over the wall and do everything we can, make a mess of the world around us, and we think that hopefully we can get back over the gate before he returns and Jesus will never notice. But the problem is with that, uh, a couple of problems. First of all, Jesus knows he is able to see all of what is going on in our lives. He knows. And, and just, you know, all I could do was look at the evidence in our house that our dog had been out. But Jesus has footage on all of us. He knows the things that go on on the inside and on the outside of our lives. He's aware of it. The second problem we have is not just that he's aware of it, but also that we have no idea when he's coming home. I have no idea to this day how my dog figured out what time I was coming back from church. But he knew. But you know what? You and I aren't that smart. You and I don't know. Jesus might come back today. He might come back tomorrow. He might come back 100 years from now. Your life on this earth might end today. It might end tomorrow. It might end 50 years from now. But you don't know the time when you will stand before your Creator. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 25 to help address the question, what do we do while we're waiting for His return? And he did this in the form of a parable. We call it the parable of the talents. It's one of the most famous parables that Jesus taught. And just like a story that we would share or that I would share in a message, 
is intended to illustrate a, a point within a larger message. So the parables or illustrations that Jesus used were sometimes an introduction to a sermon. Sometimes they were to illustrate a point in the middle of a message. Sometimes they were a conclusion to the message, but they were always designed to help reinforce a point. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is giving a message to his disciples about his imminent return. That's interesting, the context of it, because at the beginning of this sermon, uh, Jesus makes a comment in the presence of lots of people, not just his disciples, but he says, you see that temple? Every stone in that temple will be torn apart and torn down um, one day. And the disciples hear this, and they're like, wow, that sounds pretty cataclysmic. That sounds like you're going to do something. It sounds like maybe the kingdom is coming. And they said, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And so Jesus proceeds on the Mount of Olives to pull his disciples aside and to give them some explanation about his return to the earth. And what Jesus says is, hey, guess what, guys? Know that I'm coming, and know there's no way you're going to miss it. In other words, Jesus is going to mark his return with so many events, so many signs, so many wonders, so many things that you cannot miss that there's, there's no way he's, he's going to sneak back into the world. You're not going to miss it, so don't just spend all your time staring at the sky. That's the first thing that Jesus said. But then he goes on and he tells some stories at the end of that message to basically say, and here's what I want you to do while you're waiting for my imminent return. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, in the parable of the talents, is a story that Jesus tells to illustrate the point, what should you and I be doing as we wait for the return of Christ? If you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to spend all our time there today. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. I'm going to read them, and then after that, we'll, we'll back up into them and see three things uh, from, these, from these verses. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, 
You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money so with, with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing. This is the story that Jesus tells to illustrate the point of how we should be living our lives in light of his imminent return. Now, as we look at this this story a little more in depth, we're going to see three things. The first thing we're going to see is this, that we live in the dash. We live in the dash. Now, I say that because it's helpful for us, I believe, to to get a timestamp on this story. Jesus tells this story to his disciples while he was still living with them. It's as if in in the context of this story, it's like when the master was still with the servants before he left to go on the long journey. That's when Jesus gathers his disciples on the Mount of Olives and begins this story, verses 14 through 18. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm with you, and I'm giving you truth. I'm going to give you my life on the cross. I'm going to give you opportunity and a commission to serve me. That was the era in which Jesus told this story. And yet right after these events happen, about two days after Jesus tells the story, he goes to the cross and he dies. And then three days later, he raises from the dead. And then 40 days after that, he ascends back into heaven. It's as if Jesus was going on a long journey, a journey from which he has not yet returned yet. And so what we, what we see in the parable and what Jesus seems to be telling us is a timestamp on history. There was a time where the master was with the servants on the earth and he gave blessing, and there will be a future time, verses 19 and following, when the master will return, but there's a dash in between those two times, and that's the era in which we now live. We live right now in the dash between 2518 and 2519. See, it's helpful for us to to realize and to orient ourselves on where we are in the story. We are living right now as recipients of what Jesus did and awaiting his return. We live in the dash. The first thing that I think it's helpful for us to see. But the second thing we're going to see is this. We live with the deposit. Not do we just live in the dash, but we live with the deposit. In the first several verses of this this parable, what we see is a master who gives blessing to his his servants. Now, there's a few things we see about the blessing that the master gave to these servants, the deposit that he gave to them. The first thing we see is that he gave a different amount to each of the servants. And the parable tells us, Jesus tells us that that's significant. It was according to their abilities. It was according to their capacity. So Jesus, or the master in this story, understood his servants enough to say, you know what, that person can handle five talents, but this person, it's better to just give them two, and this person can get one. And so there is a prescribed, specific amount of talents given, and it's different 
to each of the servants given according to their capacities. That's one of the things we see is a different amount. The second thing we see is not just that it was a different amount, but we see that it was a significant amount. It says that they were given talents. Now, what is a talent? We think of a talent, we think of like America's got talent, like the ability to sing, to dance, maybe a magic show, uh, whatever. You know, we think of those things as talents today. Uh, But in the first century, the time in which Jesus lived, the word talent had a very specific meaning. It was a unit of measurement. It meant something that weighed 75 pounds. That's, that's what a talent was. A talent was anything that weighed 75 pounds. Now, the value of that talent would be dependent upon what made up the 75 pounds, right? Uh, 75 pounds from the city dump would be worth very little. But 75 pounds of silver or 75 pounds of gold would have been very valuable. And in a context like the story that Jesus tells, we can assume that this was probably, he was referring to a talent of silver. There's been a lot of debate among scholars as to exactly what the value was of a talent of silver in Jesus' day. But the best guess is somewhere between 15 and 20 years. One of the commentaries I saw uh, said that that, uh, 16 and a half years of wages is what a talent of silver might have weighed. Uh, Now, I don't know if that's exact, but I I thought that was an interesting number, 16 and a half. So we'll use that. Now, let's put that into modern terms. Let's just assume that the annual salary uh, for somebody is $50,000. Now, I'm not, some of you are like, wow, that, I wish I made 50,000. Some others of you are like 50,000 and enough. Well, whatever it is, I'm just going to use that as a mark. The reason why I'm going to do that is because I'm not very good at math and I need a nice round number. Okay. So 16 and a half years, $50,000 a year, one talent would have been worth almost a million dollars in today's terms. And five talents would have been up north of, of 4 million. So when we talk about uh, the value of, of what the master was giving to them, it was something significant. He gave different amounts to different ones based on their abilities, but to all of them, he gave significant resources, 75 pounds at least of some serious silver, okay? That is what the, the story sets up as. And Jesus in his life and, and in his, his death and in his resurrection was giving a deposit of at least 75 pounds of blessing to each person who would be his disciple, to each person who would follow him. I mean, think of of the blessings that, that Jesus created for his disciples in that day. And guess what? For those of us who are living now in the dash, the, the blessings that Jesus has given for us today as well. Jesus has given us at least 75 pounds of blessing. He's given us 66 pounds of books of the New Testament, in the Old Testament, for us to see uh, and understand who God is, and we've received his word. We've received 75 pounds of forgiveness when Jesus died on the cross, sufficient to cover all of our sins. We've received 75 pounds of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within our lives to empower us to live the life that he's called us to live. We've received 75 pounds of opportunities as he has placed us in relational context, as he's placed us in in a city, in in a church, in a nation where we have the opportunity to gather and to worship and to speak freely of our faith and to talk to our friends about Jesus. He's given us at least 75 pounds of, of opportunity. He's given us at least 75 pounds of talents 
And again, not, this is like America's got talent. He's given us 75 pounds of talent. The Bible says that from the moment that we trusted in Christ that he has given to us a spiritual gift, he's specifically outfitted us to serve him in this life in a special way, some to teach, some to encourage, have mercy on others, different gifts that God has given to us. He's given us those things, but he's given us also natural gifts. Some can sing, some can dance, some can play instruments, some have abilities to serve, some have the ability to to sleep very little, some have the ability to sleep a lot and be well-rested. We've all have different, different abilities that God has, has given to us, that he has entrusted to us. We have you know, talent upon talent of blessing that God has given to us. As we live in the dash, we are living with the deposit of his blessing. Now, it's interesting when you think about the deposit that God gives and the wisdom of the fact that he gave a different deposit. I think Warren Wiersbe helps us understand this when he says this, he says, if five talents were given to a person with minimal ability, he would be destroyed by the heavy responsibility. But if only one talent were given to a man of great ability, he would be disgraced and degraded. God assigns work and opportunity according to our ability. God has given to each of us talents as we live in the dash. And here's what I'd love for you to do, and and some of you will be able to do this maybe quickly right now in this time, but for others of you, it's a great exercise to do this week, to just take some time and do an audit of your life. Take some time and, and take an inventory of your life and think through all of the different ways in which God has blessed you, the different things that he has given to you. In the parable, there was a, a master who gave his servants millions of dollars, but in, in our lives today, We have a master Jesus who has given to us blessings upon blessings, 75 pounds at least of something. What are the ways in which God has blessed you? Think about the ways that he has blessed you with your time, the opportunities that you have, the relationships and the networks that he has placed you inside. Think about the time that he has blessed you with. Think about the talents that you have. What are the the things that you can do? What are the things that that give you joy? What are the the, the ministries that that excite you? Think about the the, the talents that God has has placed within you. And then think about the treasure. What are the material things that God has entrusted to you? Finances, a house, a car. God has, has blessed you with talent upon talent. He has given you a deposit as you're living in this dash. first two things we see from the parable. Well, the third thing we see from this parable, I I think will help us draw this home a little better. And that's this. We need to live for the day, not just living in the dash and not just living with the deposit, but we live for the day. And the day that I'm referring to there is the day when the master will return. Jesus tells this this parable. He, He tells this story about a master who gives a deposit to his servants and then he goes on a long journey. But there's a day when he's going to come back. And starting in verse 19, the master comes back. And when he comes back, he wants to talk to each of his servants that he had given these blessings 
too. Now, when the master comes back and he begins to, to talk to these servants, there's a few things that are important to notice about what he does. The first thing that's important to notice is that all of the servants are reviewed. The one who had five talents is reviewed by the master. The one who has two talents is reviewed by the master. The one who has one talent is reviewed by the master. And this is important for us. This is really important for us. Because many times, as we live out our lives, we, we, we basically overvalue everybody else and we undervalue ourselves. We, this is what we do. You know, I am a one-talent person. If I were to ask you what you are and we'd go around the room, we would be, everybody would be like, I'm a one-talent person, I'm a one-talent person, I'm a one-talent person. There's some, there's some five-talenters out there. Yeah, sure. There's a Billy Graham. You know, there, there's an Andy Stanley. There's a Bruce Hess. Uh, there, there's some five-talenters out there, uh, but that's not me. I'm, I'm a one-talent person. And a part of the reason why we say that is I think there's a subtle thought in our head that we think that if we're a one-talent person, that somehow Jesus won't have time for us when it comes to our review. There, there's, there's this sense that, you know what, Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to meet face-to-face with the, with the five-talenters, spend a lot of time with them, maybe go to lunch, have that conversation. Um, the two-talent, they might just get an email review, you know, hey, just, just yeah, fill out this Scantron bubble deal and send it back in, and I'll let you know what I think. But the one-talenters, we think, you know, the one-talent people, yeah, God's really didn't have time for us. Yeah, he's concerned with the big fish. He's not concerned with, with anybody else. We think that, that God is only going to be concerned with the lives of those that we would view in our eyes as the five talent people. But you know what? The picture of the New Testament is quite different than that. Actually, the picture that we get in the New Testament is that there will come a day when every person, believer or unbeliever, will stand before Jesus when he returns to the earth. Thought about that? There's going to come a time when you will stand before Jesus Christ. And there will be a review that he'll want to talk through with your life. The master has gone away. We live in the dash, but there's a day coming when he will return. And when he does, each of us, regardless of how many talents we think we have, will spend some time with him. Now, as we stand before him, how will that review go? What will be the things that, that, will, be, that will make up that review? And you know what's interesting is, as, as I read this story, here's what I anticipated this to be about. You know what? The ones that, 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 that made money get rewarded, but, but the, ones that, the one that lost money is, is the one who would get in trouble. You, you thought that way? The one who lost the money? Let me ask you this question. Who in this story lost money? Just scan through it. Who, who lost money? Nobody did, right? Matter of fact, everything that was given is going to be received back. Even the person with one talent that buried it, did nothing with it, was still able to give back what he was given. He just had done nothing with it. The only thing that is an issue of loss in this story is the loss of opportunity, not the loss of resources. The judgment, the, the, the review that happens as we come and stand before Jesus at his return as a believer in, in him, is, is not about how many things we've done wrong. His death on the cross made the, the payment for those things. It's taken care of. It's not based on the things we did wrong. What, when we stand as believers in Jesus Christ before him one day, the issue is going to be, what did you do with the, the blessing that I have given to you? 
That's what Jesus is going to want to know. That's what he's going to want to talk about. He says, I've given this to you. And then I went away on a long journey. And when I come back, I want to know, how did you invest the things that I've given you? The 75 pounds of whatever. How have you invested that in my work? That'll be the nature of the conversation. See, we, we want to make the Christian life a list of to don'ts. Don't, don't drink this. Uh, don't, don't do that. Don't whatever. You know, it's this whole list of don'ts, and we, we think that that's the nature. And here's the deal. You can read the New Testament. You'll see there are a number of things that God says don't do, and he wants us to trust and not go in those directions because he knows what is best for us. But you know what? The Christian life is about far more than just not doing those things. The life that Jesus redeemed, the life that he has saved us into, is not a life merely of not sinning. The life that he has saved us into is an adventure. We have been outfitted and resourced in order to serve him. This is amazing, folks. I mean, I'm looking around this room and, and to think that the God of the universe has, has the, the amount of blessing, the talents of blessing he's poured out on just us is just awesome to think about. I want to praise God for how he has blessed you, for how he has blessed me. God has poured out his blessing upon us. And here's the deal. God is not just concerned with us not losing by committing that one act. What God is concerned about is about us investing what he has given to us in his work. That's what God wants from you and me. Those who invest that work, um, invest what he has given to us in, his, in, in the work of Jesus, um, there's reward that comes with that. On that day when we stand before him, there will be reward. It says here that to the one who had five and, and, and turned it into ten, Jesus says, well done. There's, there's relational closeness there. He says, I've got more work for you to do. You know, sometimes we, we think of eternity as like this big holding pen you know, that like you drop off the face of whatever at the end of this life and you just go into a big vat and you never do anything ever again. That's not the picture of eternity that we have in the, in the Scripture. We have a, a thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. He wants to, to, to reign with us. We, we have a new heaven and a new earth that he's asking us to be with him and, and, and to populate. There, there are things that need to be done. Eternity will be about us serving in his presence forever. If we are faithful in this life, the reward is we get opportunity in the next. Opportunity to serve under Jesus' reign and rule. See, there's reward on that day. But there's also consequence. Also consequence. And the person who received the one talent, who buried it and did nothing with it, there's consequence. Well, the others get commendation, he gets rebuked. While the others get responsibility, Jesus says of him, put him in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you're a student of the New Testament, that phrase ought to scare you to death. Because when Jesus talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness, he's almost always referring to hell. And so here's the, here's, here's the question that you've got to be asking yourself. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that if I am not obedient to invest what he has given me to, in, in ministry in this life, is, am I going to be rejected and sent to hell? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And I don't think that for, for a couple of reasons, not just because it's convenient. I, I really believe that that's not what he's saying. I, and I, I believe he's not, that's not what he's saying for a couple of reasons. One is 
because this is a message that Jesus preached to his disciples. You see, back in 24, when he circled them up, these were, these were the disciples. These were the inner circle. These were the core. These were, his, these were his men. So part of it is because of the audience that is there. And then what Jesus said about those who believe in him throughout the rest of the, the gospels and throughout the rest of the epistles. Our salvation is not found in, in anything we do. It's found in what Jesus has done. And so this is not an issue of salvation. Furthermore, this story is not a story Jesus told to say who would be saved and who would not be saved. Why is it that Jesus told this story? He told this story to help us understand who are believers, what we are to do now, waiting for his imminent return. I think the reason why Jesus uses this strong language, though, is this. I think what Jesus was saying was, he was saying, hey, the life that does not invest the resources that I have given to him in this dash period of time is a life that is wasted. It is it looks like the life of an unbeliever. What a waste to take all of the blessings that God has given and to do nothing with it. Jesus' hope and intent in sharing this is that every disciple of his, every true disciple of his, would one day hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because Not because they never made any mistakes, and not because they all had the same thing or all had the same ministry but because all believers would see the, the gift that God had given them and they would invest it in the life that they live in the dash. Now, here's the question I've got for you. You know, earlier I asked you to take an inventory of your life. How has God blessed you? What are the, the gifts that he has given to you? Now I want you to, to, to go beyond that. And I want you to think not of what are the gifts that, that God has, has given to you, but I want you to think about um, how God might want you to invest those gifts in this life. And you know what? It's going to look different for everybody because remember, we've been given different things. I mean, take time, for instance. How are you investing your time for the kingdom? Now, some of you are in this room right now and you're like, you know what? Um, I'm a, I'm a five-talent time person. Now, there's probably not many of you. I, I, don't, I don't know many people that are just like, I've got nothing but time on my hands. Um, but, but some of you, through a variety of circumstances in life, may feel like, you know what, this is an era of life where I just have a lot of time on my hands. Others of you are like, I'm not a five-talent time person. I'm a .5 or .05 time person because of the amount of responsibilities. I'm a single mom. I've got three kids. I work two jobs. I've got .05 time that, that, is, that I, I could do something with. Here's what's great. When Jesus comes and does the review, he doesn't say to the two-talent person, why didn't you make five? What did you do with your two? When it comes to your time, what is, what is it that God would have you do with the .5 or the .05 or the five that you have to offer? How can you invest those things um, in his work with your time, the opportunities that you have, the, the, the relationships around you, the, the context of people that you work with or, or in your family. What are you doing with your time? Second thing you might think about is what are you doing with your talent? Now, again, we all want to undervalue our talents. We all want to say that there are five-talent people out there, but I am a one-talent person. We've already covered that, okay? 
Um, but, but here's the deal. Whatever it is that you would consider to be your talents, how are you utilizing them for the kingdom of God? If God has given you an ability to teach, then teach. And don't wait until you have a classroom to do it. You know, many people have heard the story of, of, of Howard Hendricks, one of the great heroes of mine. Um, professor I had at seminary impacted thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lives for Jesus Christ. But Howard Hendricks came to Christ. God got a hold of his heart because there was a Sunday school teacher for third grade boys who was told, you know what, you can't teach third grade boys because we don't have a classroom for you. And thankfully, that man named Walt decided that that wasn't an acceptable answer, and he went around the neighborhood and began to meet third grade boys in the neighborhood and share Jesus with them. Howard Hendricks came to Christ, and God used him for for years and years to come. You know, if what has God blessed you with? What are the talents that you have? As a church, we, we try to create opportunities for you to use um, your, your blessings. And we, we, we do that uh, in, a, in an incomplete way. And at times, you, you might even say we do it in an ineffective way, but it's our heart and desire to create opportunities. But here's the deal. Don't let any in, inability or ineffectiveness that we have get in the way of you utilizing the gifts that God has given to you. God has blessed you. He has given you a gift that he wants you to invest in the dash according to his purposes. Third thing, what are you going to do with your treasure? Material things that, that God has blessed you with, what, what are you going to do with those? How will you invest those things? The house, the car, the financial resources on a monthly basis. How are you investing those things? Your time, your talent, and your treasure. God has given them to us. And he's given them to us with the idea that we would invest them in his kingdom. Jesus tells this parable to let us know what we are to do as we wait for his imminent return. We're to live in the dash, live with the deposit, and live for the day. Let me pray for us. Father, I I thank you for the privilege of being able to to join together today with my brothers and sisters and, and reflect on this story, this great story that Jesus told that helps us know what we're to do as we wait for his return. Father, I pray that you would give us all the faith, that you would give us all the wisdom and the opportunity to to pour into um, your kingdom work all that you have given to us. We pray, Father, that you would just guide us now and help us uh, as we live out our lives on this earth to be good stewards of the resources you've given, that we might hear one day, well done, how good and faithful. We pray these things.